Hello, I'm Matt Price, and this is Conversations with Criminals bonus episode. This is part of a conversation that didn't really fit with the main podcast interview, but I found it very interesting. This is Joey Barnett, who, if you listened to our chat last week, you'll know did 12 years for seven armed robberies. In this conversation, he talks about being a prison listener and a Samaritan in prison, and I wanted to share it because it's not something that I even knew existed before I started this project. It's only 15 minutes long, which is why I've called it a bonus episode, but I think it's really worthwhile, and I hope you do too. Later on in life, um, when I got recalled on a 12-year sentence, I had two years left on it, and I got another consecutive sentence on top of the recall, which was another three years. Basically, by the time I'd got back to jail, all the prison officers, all the staff... All the inmates, they type of knew me because I, well, I've been going in and out of jail for so long. And a course come up called the Samaritan's Course. Um, and it was made up from uh, individual guys were coming from the outside into the prison. So it was a, a three-month course and it was two days a week. And we had to do role plays. Well, basically, I achieved the... Um, I finished the exam and achieved it. And after that, the prisons was using me as a listener for suicide prevention. Um, so basically, I got the um, exam, passed the test, whilst I was in Wayland Prison on a sentence, on a recall. Right, OK. It, and so why did you choose to do it then? So, so they offered it, but... So someone comes along and says, oh, we think you'd be good at this, but three months is a long time to commit to yeah. learning something. What made you do it? It was something new for me to do. I've never done nothing like it, but I've always had feelings for other people, and I've always been a good listener. It, it, it attracted me straight away. Um, I just wanted to try and help other people which were in bad situations. I've been there, worn it and seen it, worn the T-shirt numerous times while I've been going in and out of jail, so I, I know what the system is like. And I just thought it was the right time for me to give back and try and help people what need help. Okay. And can you tell me about some of the people who you did help? Yeah, there's numerous people. Um, one of my... Um, one of my clients was a guy named Steve. Um, he was only 21 years of age. He's not got no previous convictions. He's never been arrested in his life. And um, basically, he, he was engaged to his girl, his partner. They had a little flat in Swanley in Kent. And um, he come home one day after work and caught his fiance in bed with his best mate, red-handed. So my mate Steve went into the kitchen and um, got an eight-inch kitchen knife just started chasing the other guy all around the flat. Um, he managed to get the guy into a headlock on the floor. There was a lot of lot of blood. He stabbed him about 10 or 15 times all around the head, all around the body. He just couldn't stop stabbing him. He rang the police up and, and told the police that he's just murdered somebody in his house. And um, the police went around there and arrested him for murder. And that's when um, I met him inside Wayland. By the time I'd met him, as I say, he's never done no prison sentence. He's never been arrested. He was completely and utterly frightened out of his life. He's been put into like a jail with people doing 20 years recommendations, 30 years recommendations. They're never going to see daylight again. The most violent people you'd ever meet, he's put amongst all these. And when I met him, he was more like a victim, more than a murderer. He, he was like a victim and I felt sorry for him and I took him under my wing. And as, a, as the weeks went on, he got closer and closer and closer to me and he started to confide in me. But unfortunately, he had a side of him where he, was, uh, he suffered from uh, manic depression 
and he used to self-harm quite a lot. So on numerous occasions, I was locked up in my cell. It could be three in the morning, it could be five in the morning, it could be two o'clock in the afternoon. They used me as a smoker and a listener, and they used to call me out every time I used to self-harm. They used to call me out to go to his cell to help him and listen to him and try and get him over the incident where he's just done. So that's how I met him. And he confided in me, and he was like a son, and I was like a, it was like a son-dad type of relationship. I really felt sorry for him. After a few weeks of him knowing me and meeting me, I started taking him out onto the wing, meeting like my, my friends, because he automatically thought that it, where he was in a long-term as jail, he was going to get bullied and for, for killing someone because he'd never been arrested. So he was very inwards, very frightened, very scared. And um, after a few weeks, he was on the association room with us. He was playing pool and snooker, having chats and was having cups of tea with all our mates. And I took him right out of his shell and really took him underneath my wing. And that was how I met Stephen. You, did, you said to me that um, you kind of helped him come to terms with the fact that he was going to be doing such a long time in jail. Yes. How, how did you do that? I didn't really. Um, I tried to to help him out, get his head around it. Um, and all the time the doors was open, he was fine, he was okay. He wasn't really thinking about what his crime or what he'd done he, and how long he had to serve what he had in front of him. As I say, he was um, like round us all his boys. But it's when he was in his cell on his own, when it really hit home, and that's when he used to self-harm, when he was behind the door on his own, he just did not want to be here when he was left on his own. He was on suicide watch, which meant the, um, the officer was meant to search his cell every 30 minutes on suicide uh, watch. They, uh, they go to your door, basically, open your flap up just to check you're OK, and then they do that every 30 minutes. So they put him onto a, a suicide watch, and the officer was watching him, but he still, he still found the time to slash yourself and self-arm yourself, even though the screws were watching him or supposedly watching him. On numerous occasions, he self, self-armed self while he was on suicide watch and the officers asked me to go to his cell and go and ch- have a chat with him and try and help him out and try and take his mind off things and make him feel better, which I used to do on every occasion they used to come and ask me. Wow. And, and what happened to Steve? Uh, so it was after a few months, um, he kept slashing himself. Like every probably two or three days, he'd self-arm um, he'd cut his wrist and what he would do he wouldn't go across he'd go upwards so basically um, all the inmates get like a big razor from the from the kit from reception as you walk through reception you get all your kit and you get a razor razors are passed around uh, every other day from the officers for some reason suicide inmates still get access to razors what you shave with which is very very stupid really because that's all you need to kill yourself but, um, yeah, Stephen used to um, take the, the, smash the razor blades out of the, the handle and um, slash himself with the razors, and he used to go upwards up his arm, not across. So the, the wounds were very, very deep, very, very wide, and very hard to stitch up. And, and he did actually he did actually die, didn't he? Yeah, what happened was, was um, one afternoon, after him slashing himself for a few weeks prior to this, 
I think it was about four o'clock. We was just locked up for dinner time. And pr- just before that, we was on the association and I was in this inside his cell with a few of my other friends. We was all playing um, blackjack cards. There was a bit of ooch on the wing where everyone was brewing drinks. So we was having a drink. We was all messing about and having a laugh. When the school was called Lock Up, Stephen come up to me in his cell and he said, Joe, he said, I've got, I want to tell you something. He said, but please don't tell the officers. I said, what's that, Steve? What's the matter? I was drunk. Stephen was drunk. We was all in good spirits. Stephen didn't really sound down to me or like he was going to self-harm. It just sounded like normal to me. But this afternoon in, in particular, when, the, when we got locked up, Stephen um, slashed his arm. And what he used to do prior to this, before he'd done this, sorry, he'd slash his arm and he'd pulled the veins out. So that every time they stitched it up with um, metal um, clips, he would basically just pull the staples out and rip the wound open to bleed out because he actually did, did want to kill himself. He was trying his hardest to kill himself. Um, and what, yeah, one afternoon, he'd come up to me just before we got locked up and he said, Joe, he said, I love you to bits. He said, I can't thank you for not enough for what you've done for me. I've never, ever met no one like you. You're the only person who's really understood me. He said, but I'm not going to be here when the doors are opened up. I didn't really, didn't really... I, uh, I didn't really believe him that he was going to kill himself. I did think that he would self-harm because, as I say, he did use to self-harm quite a lot. But he did warn me that he was going to do this this afternoon. So we all got locked up. And just before I got locked up, one of the officers or one of the screws come to my, come to my, um, I called him to my cell. I said, can I have a word with you, please, sir? He come to my cell. He put the bolt across. He come inside the cell. I said, I've got to tell you something. I said, because I've done the course, the Samaritan's course. I said, and it's, it's in, it's in my policy where if someone threatens to self-arm, I've got to let, let the officers know to prevent this from happening. I said, my friend Stephen next door has just said to me, that he's not going to see me again and on lock-up, he's going to kill himself. The screws um, said, thank you very much indeed. Stephen's on um, suicide watch and we'll be washing his door every 30 minutes and walked off and left him. I was banging on Steve. I was banging on Stephen's wall because sometimes we used to talk through the cells, um, through the pipes to each other, and through the walls. Also, out the windows of a night time, we'd all have a chat. And this afternoon, because Stephen had told me he was going to self-harm and he was going to kill himself, I was purposely banging on his wall, jumping on his wall, kicking his wall. I was saying, "You all right, Stephen?" I was having a laugh, messing about with him, but he wouldn't answer, which is very unusual, because normally he would answer. It, it was known that sometimes he wouldn't answer for about five or ten minutes or if he was reading or if he, if he was having one of his episodes, he wouldn't answer. But I kept slamming on his wall and kicking his wall and he wouldn't answer. And I, I didn't really sit on my bed. I was just pacing around the cell up and down, calling the officers to the... Um, screaming at the officers to come down. Stephen isn't answering. Please, can you come and check him? Please, can you come and check him? And it was about 15 or 20 minutes after... We got locked down when I heard all the screws running down the landing, all the uh, the, G, the keys jug, j- uh, j- jangling, whatever you call it, and um, heard all the footsteps, and I heard all the officers go into Stephen go into Stephen's door. As they went into Stephen's door, one of the officers looked through to my door because he knew I was I was a listener, and he said, "Do you mind coming into the cell with me to have a chat with Stephen?" as you're the only person and the only inmate which Stephen confides in and he trusts you and he likes you and we trust you. 
can you please come in and have a word with Stephen? So I said, yeah, fine. So basically, I've got myself together. Come in. By this time, there was about two officers inside his cell and a nurse, which was just by the door. She was at the door. And as I walked into the cell, one of the officers walked up. Uh, Stephen was laying in bed and he had the green blankets over his head. And as I walked into the cell, I looked on the floor and I could see blood seeping through the mattress onto the floor. There was puddles and puddles of blood. I, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing, to be honest with you. But the, the officer pulled the blanket back and Stephen had his head on one side, his tongue was sticking out and he bled out. He was, he was completely dead, he was cold. The officers and the nurses called him for um, backup and um, they tried to revive him. They was like trying to give him a CP, CPR on his chest and trying to revive him, but unfortunately, Stephen didn't make it. He passed away and died. That, that's incredible. What, what an incredible story. And thank you. You know, I know that's not easy for you to tell me that. What I would say is that he did say goodbye to you. Yes, he did say he did say goodbye to me, but I half um, blame myself for, for him doing it because where he confided in me and he trusted me, it was really... I felt it was my responsibility for him to not do this type of thing and kill yourself. I didn't realise he'd go out the full length to actually kill yourself. Did you carry on being a Samaritan and a listener after that? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I carried on being a listener and a Samaritan. Um, obviously, Stephen got got taken out. Um, I got a little bit of bereavement counsel from the vicar, but basically, life went just back, just went back to normal in prison, and just life went. That was it. Just everyone forgot it. I mean, we, we was talking about it for weeks and weeks after. But to be honest with you, it was just like an everyday thing in there. There was people killing themselves at least once every fortnight, trying to hang themselves or commit suicide. And um, the prison just didn't have the resources to be watching an inmate in their cell 24 hours a day. Yeah. So unfortunately, there are quite a few, especially long-term as jails, I think you seem to find that long-termers, when they do self-harm, they don't just cut themselves for attention. If they can't deal with their sentence, this is, the, this is one of the only ways out. For, they feel it's the only, only way out for them is to kill yourself. So there is quite a few deaths in prison down to this. Yeah, of course. They're just not the support and the staff and the resources to completely stop suicide in prisons. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will be back again very soon with some full-length interviews. So until then, take care and bye for now.